Pardon me while I detox Say no need for the re-rock Working on credit scores and woo size I got serenity by the hoopla Met up with Nate, no money in the shoebox Told me about his idea for detox Helping addicts recover straight out the cell block Showing up and looking like they were shell-shocked I need, I need help, help, bro, bro. Well, trust God, clean house, and show up to detox Please, just show up to detox What's up, my sober soldiers? Welcome to an episode of Pardon Me While I Detox. Cue the beats and get ready to vibe. Welcome, listeners. The podcast where real stories of recovery unfold. In this special episode, we continue our journey with the incredible Stephen Goss, a beacon of resilience and transformation. Let's go! Um, But even then, like, I didn't hit the ground running. I sat on that Wilson House porch smoking cigarettes. I wanted to do like I had done in the past, and I wanted to try to dry out and get past being, and at that time, I wasn't even dope sick no more, but I wanted to stop being alcohol sick. Um, so, you know, they kept suggesting, you know, you need to read the first 164 pages of that book. I'm like, I don't like to fucking read, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've had so many big books in my time, treatment center after treatment center, and I like, I would open the book and act like I was reading it, but I didn't read the book. Yeah. Um, but I started reading. Um, I met a guy playing spades across the table from me, and guy was ten years younger than I was, but he was happy. You know what I mean? Like he was genuine. Like you could see it all over him. Like he was one of the ones I wouldn't question him being high. Like the kid was just happy. You know. What I mean? so, <laughs> and, and I asked him. I was like, you know, do you sponsor people? And he did. And he was like, but you got to read the, the first 164 pages of that book. Um. So I started reading this time. And once I started reading this time around, like I kind of got hooked. I kind of got glued in because I was like, man, like I started pointing at things in the book. I'm like, this is talking about me. Wait, hold on. That's talking about me. No, that makes it. And I got to the point that like I was reading 30 pages at a time with like <laughs> nice. no break. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like I would take a couple of hours and I'll come back. I'll read 30 pages again. I'm like, Nah, I'm all into this big book thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I started working the steps, and, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, when never trying to really work the steps before, I feel like I never even fully worked step one, like, all the times that I said that I was being honest with myself, um, or, you know, especially honest with other people, like, I wouldn't even be honest with myself. So I finally got to the point that I was honest with myself. Um, and, you know, when it came to step two, like, I don't even think I had my step two moment up until, like, a couple of weeks when I was in here. Or, actually, I take that back. My third day here was a commencement. Um, and Rob Grinelli was telling his story. He was picking up two years at the time. And I remember hearing him talking about how fucked up he was and how life was different for him. You know, and I, I started picking up on the, you know, where we where we been, where we were at, and where he was at and where he was now. Um, and I, I feel like that kind of helped me out with my step two moment because I was starting to believe that somebody else believed in something and it was working for them. So why couldn't it work for me? Um, you know, and then I started attending New Spring, I don't think it was my first Sunday here, it was my second Sunday. 
but within my first month here, I got saved, um, and I got baptized in front of the church a couple weeks after that, and, uh, you know, and I think around that time, I was working on my fourth step, and, you know, actually listing down my resentments, like, I got really good at going back and trying to tend stuff. 10-step stuff that I, I didn't write down later, you know what I mean? Whenever I, I wrote some stuff down and something would crop up, I got really good at that. Um, you know, and just as far as my six and seven, like, you know, I started, you know, asking God about my character defects and, you know, and then I started trying to right my wrongs during my amends, my amends uh, section of my steps and, you know, being on property, like, it was kind of hard to make amends, but, you know, I, I got to points that where, like, I, you know, whenever I would go home and stuff like that, I went home for court the first time, and I, I started being willing, and I started making amends to, to family members and things, and I started feeling the freedom. So that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, like, um, being somebody who wasn't quite ready yet, like, I started experiencing the freedom, and when I started experiencing these things, like, I kind of liked it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of wanted to keep running with this thing because, like, I started actually feeling good about myself and I started seeing the potential that I hadn't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the biggest things that happened to me was when I got on 10, 11, 12, I started, you know, practicing 10 steps. I started trying, trying to uh, improve my prayer life. And then I had somebody ask me to sponsor them. And then I was able to take somebody back through the work. And I think that helped me a lot with uh, the giving back aspect, which is, you know, something that I've carried into my life today. You know, like, um, today I work as a peer support specialist. So it's like me, like, I, I got sober through the 12 steps of AA. That's what worked for me. And for the longest time, like, I was so close-minded to the way that I got sober and what worked for me is, like, the only way. You know, mm -hmm. but I've become more open-minded over the years and, like, seeing people that actually are, you know, people that are doing, like, MAT services, mm -hmm. um, that it's working wonders in their life. You know what I mean? Like, for, for the certain amount of people that it is, like, for me, that shit didn't work. Like, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't use Suboxone successfully. I couldn't use Methadone successfully every time I tried. But there are people that yeah. it works for. Um, I've seen people get sober through, like, just religion, you know, not like a 12-step program, and it works for them, you know, so mm -hmm. I've gotten more open-minded to multiple pathways to, to recovery, and, um, you know, my big thing is, like, if it works for you and it's keeping you alive, you know, then yeah. then I'll help you try to achieve it. You know, so so one thing, I, I definitely, you know, I, I want to get into to more of that kind of down, down the line, so... You know, the, you, I think the picking up with you, you start making this beginning, right? You know, you you you've been here for a while, and you kind of start taking the next steps where you find employment and you start working and you're helping others, right? Because I mean, you've been sober how long now? About five and a half years. Five and a half years. So. You commenced what at four months? At four months. And yeah. so from from four months, what was like you know from four months, trans tra did transition? Yeah, I, I went to transition for like five months. So mm -hmm. I spent about nine months in this program altogether. Yeah. And I did that just because I wanted the accountability. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like. 
from somebody who wasn't ready at all to somebody who wasn't even ready to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I could have gotten to the points where, I, you know, I, I started being out on my own. and uh, But I wanted the accountability. I wanted to make sure that I had transportation from property, you know, or, you know from my transitional living to be able to get to work, but to be able to get back here to property so I could still hit meetings because, like, I was going out to meetings out in the community, um, which are good meetings, don't get me wrong, but, like, the meetings out here, you know, yeah. it was something totally different, you yeah. know, it was just like, the guys here, they live in the solution, you know what I mean, the solution is all around this place, so, like, the meetings here were and still are to this day fire, yeah. um, which is one of the reasons I still come back and do meetings here. Five years later. Five years later. And speaking yeah. a little bit on that, at, during a little bit of your narrative, you mentioned sort of that importance of, you know, that first sponsee, the first time that somebody asks you to sponsor them. Yeah. And along those lines, you stayed uh, kind of as a resident of this program for that nine-month period. And to this day, you still come back and do meetings once a week when you're around, like... I remember when I got here about two years ago, like, I remember coming to your Monday night meetings as a resident of this program, and here I am two years now watching you still do this. Still doing it, yeah. And I guess I preface all of this to say, like, that's what I think I... I see when I see somebody living in the solution. It's that 10, 11, 12. That 12 is service through sponsorship, through providing and, like, dedicating a message. And that's something that, like, I watch in you every time that I see you on this property. And to, like, to not have the opportunity to say, like, you inspire me by, you know, seeing how you live today, like, you know, would be a disservice because you inspire me each and every time that I get to see you. So, again... There's a question here, I promise. Yeah. Like, if you could reach out to anybody and talk about the importance of, you know, of that service, what does service look like in your life today? Well, you know, starting out the process of chairing meetings and, you know, coming back out here to chair, like, somebody else did it for me, you know, so I can't keep what I have without giving it away. Um, and, you know, somebody else gave me an opportunity and, and they were also in recovery so that's kind of what I part as I do as part of like my, my giving back aspect but um, really and I tell the guys all the time like I need them just as much as they need mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. so you know whenever I come and chair meetings like I'll say my little piece to open up the meeting I'll share on what the topic is you know and I may share another time during the meeting but a lot of times I like to just shut up and I kind of get my inflow through what the other guys are saying out here, and that's part of, of my program. So, you know, going back to your question, like, I'm not going to be able to stay sober unless I'm helping somebody in some type of way. But really, all in all, it's helping me at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's the whole point behind it all anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. This whole thing was founded off more than one person getting together and getting sober together. Mm-hmm. Um, which takes me back to what I was talking about, like, while ago within my job as a peer support, like, we, you know, people, some people may choose to get sober other ways than me, 
But all in all, it's still down to the same principle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a couple of us getting together, finding ways to stay sober. And what, whatever type of program you're choosing to work, we're doing it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, it's, uh, it's the herd instinct, man. You are who you roll with. That's it. So mm-hmm. kind of before we, we, we go there, I would like to hear, because what I, what I see, I was actually just talking with a guy, guy today. You know, you come in and, and you, you know, it takes a minute just just to kind of level out from the substance use and, and kind of get some clarity. And so what I find is, is guys, guys, you know, get in here, you know, they, they make a beginning. The, the opportunity of transitional housing, which is, the, is crucial in my perception, That's, this is, you know, what, I, what I'd like for you to think about and speak on, because I myself did, had, did the same thing, made the same commitment, because I think there's levels to it. And, and I think with the understanding of, of building a foundation in, in sobriety and recovery, um, there's levels to it. And so I think too much, too fast, or what happens is you come in, you make the beginning, and you have that rhythm, and then all of a sudden you go back to Texas, and it's like, all right, the whiteboards are racing. You have to start all over. Whereas, opposed the importance of having some form of accountability, right. right, and and being able to to go out, make the mistakes. But there's kind of like the bumpers and bowling up, so you don't go into the the, the gutter. Um, of finding the rhythm of of getting back into the workspace. And developing your program as far as what the landscape of, of the next level of recovery, which is how do I manage, you know, my time with work, life, and recovery, right, without having life roll you. Because, it, you know, what happens is you get on with the facts and you make the beginning and then all of a sudden you yank the rug out from underneath yourself because, oh, I need to get back and I need to go obtain all of these things. And so... You know, what's your take on on you know the 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 step in regards to you know the process of recovery and the importance of maybe you know time and and not rushing uh, you know all the the blessings that that life can give us. You know, I say like in my experience, the same things that I learned out here at the Oaks is the same things that I, I still try to practice to this day. Um, so for someone that makes the decision, you know, to leave the safe community, um, of, I mean, it, really it doesn't matter because there's people that go back out here on the streets of Greenwood and they get lost here in Greenwood. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's people that go back home and, and once again, they, they erase the board, they forget everything they learned. Um, you just got to stay active in it. You've got to stay aware of yourself. You've got to remember where you were at, um, what was working for you while you were in this situation. Um, you know, so once again, that's why I did the transition for so long. Actually, I, I ran out transitioning until they were kicking me out of there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Richard was like, man, like, you, your time's running up. You, you, you got to go. <laughs> so, you know, and that's when I put my deposit down on my first place. But um, I still stayed involved here. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, I went, actually, the same place I work now, I went back there and got my driver's license back, you know. 
you know, so once I was mobile, I was coming out here every chance I got. Yeah, so walk, so walk us through, so you leave, so you're working here in Greenwood, you make the decision after five months, which not, collectively is nine months of, you know, some form of, of care and, and protected environment. And so at nine months, what were, so it sounds like you didn't have a license, uh, were the charges, you know, what, what was it looking like? I go get a, get a place. So I didn't have a license for nine years. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a license for nine years. I got a DUI back in somewhere around 2008. So yeah, it was, yeah, down there close to 10 years. I didn't have a license. Um, put my deposit on my first place and uh, I had one guy that was living right by me he was also a love this program so I was able to catch rides with him so you know we were hitting we were hitting uh, street I'm sorry we were hitting meetings in the community you know really hard but we were coming out here yeah. um, so I went to Cornerstone and got my license back and, you know a big part of my story there was um, I got into a relationship in early recovery. Yeah. So um, the person I was seeing at that time, I started uh, dating her when I was like six months sober. By the time that I was nine months sober, she was pregnant. So for me, like that was one of the scariest, most exciting, but scariest things I've ever been through. Cause you know, at the time, me being nine months sober, like I just learned how to take care of myself. Yeah. You know, I was still learning how to take care of myself. Like I still had days around that time where, like I, if I got like upset or angry or something like that, I still had moments that like I still wanted to use. You know what I mean? I didn't, and I knew how to get through them, and that was all because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that the Oaks, you know, led me to. But I was just learning how to take care of myself. And now I had to take care of somebody else. Um, so, you know, so that was in around December of 2018. My son Samson was born in July of 2019. What a great name. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and um, you know, obviously me and Samson's mother didn't work out. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that, like, I, I'll tell people, like, I didn't take that suggestion and you know there's that suggestion that you don't need to get into a relationship within your first year of sobriety and I didn't take that suggestion um, and by the grace of God like I stayed sober through the whole thing because like there was more stuff within me that I, I really should have worked on so I like to tell anybody else who's like thinking about that you know what I mean it can work it worked for me but why not take the suggestion? You know yeah. what I'm saying? It couldn't hurt you. It's just a year out of your life. Mm -hmm. um, but once again, definitely going to change it for the world. Like my, my first biggest blessing out of my life came out of that. Mm -hmm. but, you know, from that time, you know, I was still um, working in the restaurant with my first kid. So it got to the point where it was a little tougher to make as many meetings as, mm -hmm. as I used to because like I, I used to hit meetings hard, you know what I'm saying? I would say at least four days out the week um, between the Oaks or between up at Mason Street, like I was making, I was making like four meetings a week, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so I had to try to kind of find my niche within there. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that's what I still practice to this day. Like I incorporate the principles into my life. Um, 
you know, now today I work as a peer support, so I'm able to help people through that. Um, I chair the Monday night meeting at the Oaks. I've kept that, like I try to keep that slot. I try to work that out within family where I could still come back and do that if I'm available to. Um, and I go to church on Sunday mornings. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I kind of do that as like my spiritual inflow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I need a recharge by Sunday. I ain't a lot to you. know, I, I, work, <laughs> I work six days a week now. I work, you know, at Cornerstone uh, Monday through Friday, and I work at the restaurant on Saturday still. By Sunday, you know, and all of that, you know, I got two young kids. You know, I got I got a four-year-old, you know, and I'm, I'm jumping way ahead of myself here. But, you know, um, along the way, I, I met somebody else who did work. And I think that's because... Um, I actually decided to stop looking for love and searching for something like that. And I sat on my hands and I took care of my son um, because I had actually gotten full custody of my son within there. Which, being an unmarried father in the state of South Carolina, that's like unheard of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I got full custody of my son. Like, God found me fit. The judge found me fit to have full custody of my son because me and, you know, his mother didn't work out. Yeah, so how do you get from working in a restaurant, right? Because, you know, as as you mentioned, working in a restaurant, in in that timeline, you you have your your first child, you, you get your license back, you know. From there to peer support, like how how what's that journey like? That's actually really funny too because um, you remember I came in here and did my resume. Oh stuff? yeah, yeah I know I, I was here. So it was something that I've been wanting to get into for a long time, and really like the ultimate goal and still in the back of my mind, like I want to go back to school at some point. I want to get the degree and I want to get into addiction counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, but at when I first got into peer support, the hospital, uh, self-regional, had gotten an opening for peer support, and I applied for it. Um, it was probably in, like, the springtime of last year that I applied for it. And One little side story to that. Yeah. Um, when you were doing that, I let you use my laptop, which I never let anybody use. <laughs> but I was just like, you know what? This is really important. Mm-hmm. So you are one of, like, two people that have ever used that laptop. Really? But prior to, to that, like, where are you at? What's going on? I mean, you just somebody like, hey, I'm going to go apply at the hospital. How did you get from there to one? Because there's a certification involved. Yeah. So you're, you're working and you're like, obviously, with giving back, coming in, there's got to be a, a, an internal drive to want to do more and improve yourself, right? Yeah. So you had to, to put in some work. You know, and I was, I mean, and pretty much, too, you know, I've been doing it anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I've been doing it. I don't get paid for it. Yeah. And, I, and I would keep doing it without getting paid for it. Don't get me wrong. You know but the money is nice. Yeah. But I've been doing it anyway. And it's, you know, it, it's something that I'm good at. You know, obviously, other addicts know how to relate with other addicts. Mm-hmm. Um so it was something that I was interested in, uh, you know, I, I applied for the hospital position back last spring, and um, so I got married in August, August 18th, two days after your birthday. Uh, <laughs> a busy few months. Yeah, busy. Yeah. I thought they weren't interested in me. Now, you know what I mean? They, they, they didn't call me back. Um, I got married on August 18th, and on August 19th, the hospital was calling me. 
awesome. The day before my birthday. How about that? <laughs> wow, Good run up into your birthday. I love it. They um they called me and you know we didn't take like a formal honeymoon because we got married in North Myrtle so we were you know we just got married the day before just had a honeymoon night the night yeah. before you know we were out by the pool but were you certified before you applied? Absolutely not. Really? You just said, hey, I want to be a beer support pet specialist. Yeah. I'm going to apply. Because the question that I have, you know, because I I think this is important, especially for, for people with addiction who think that, you know, some people who, who, you know, with their backgrounds, you know, we've heard from you that there have been arrests. There are certain things. And so, one, what are the requirements, you know, from, from what you can recall, to become a peer support specialist? Um, so when I got hired for the hospital job, I didn't have no certification, but I had already heard that they were gonna pay for my certification. That's awesome. So um, if you do it through day Otis, like I did, it's only every three months. So I got hired in September. So right around now is about a year from when I started at the hospital, when I first started my peer support journey. Um, so the next training went until December, but the hospital, put up the money to pay for my training. And this is my story, so I'm not telling anybody to do it the way I did it. Um, Around the time I was doing my training is when I decided I was gonna make the jump to another job. So the hospital had already paid for my peer support training. Um, And and I was doing the training through Day Otis and everything, and around the time my training was complete, which they already paid for, I'd already applied for the job at Cornerstone and got the job. And so for those that know, the Cornerstone is a division of the Alcohol and Drug Commission. Yeah, here, it's here uh, the State Alcohol and Drug Commission. Um, so I work out of four counties. I serve four counties between Greenwood, Abbeville, Edgefield, and McCormick, and I work in all four offices. Mm-hmm. So um, the way I work is I kind of rotate Mondays between Abbeville and Edgefield. I'm in McCormick on Tuesdays. I'm in Greenwood the rest of the week. And which is really cool because I get to see people in all four counties. Um, I have a, a caseload of clients who, and peer support is only, um, it can be suggested to the peers that I work with, but it, it can't be like, you know, forced on it. It's not like no, peer support is going to be part of your program, but like the people that I work with, they kind of agree, like, yeah, I want to work with somebody who's got lived experience because a lot of people keep the thought that um you know if you've never used drugs a day in your life or you know what i mean if you've never been through it then then how do you know which don't get me wrong like counselors are well needed you know what i mean like it's good to have the education behind it and it's very important Mm -hmm. so i feel like we go hand in hand you know we're both very important and cornerstone just added peer support in a couple of years ago like we didn't have it a couple of years ago. So, you know, one thing that I'll, I'll, I'll share is, you know, having experience working in, in the treatment field, you know, I would, you know, very frequently I would have licensed therapists and counselors, and this isn't a knock at all, but as, as a man in recovery uh, who kind of the snapshot like you, you, you literally went to the bottom, you're homeless in a, in a shelter. And that's where, where addiction takes a lot of us in, in this day and age. We're not willing to do anything until we're out of every alternative possible. But I, I, I would sit you know, in my office and, and of course, 
you know, there, I, there would be meetings with counselors and, and one, they would ask me, uh, hey, are, are you hiring? And my first question is, well, are you in recovery? And, and their, their next response is this, well, no, I mean, everybody's addicted to something. <laughs> I'm like, and I would just say in my mind, I'm like, no, because, you know, kind of what we, we do here is, is you know, because every facility that I personally work with is, is like, directly, uh, you know, you, you're in recovery. And that's not to say because kind of like with, with your, your standpoint, I, I think there's some lines of, of questions I'd be interested in, in your feedback is I had to become open-minded because it takes a village. There's not a one-size-fits-all, there's not. But from my standpoint, I'll never forget, there was one instance, and and it's just a snapshot. And if this hurts some people, it hurts them, this is just my my truth. You know, this individual who was actually asking for a job as a PhD, there was a a state convention for the National Association of, of Counselors and I go to this convention, and I see the same individual f- literally falling down drunk. And I'm like, that's why that wouldn't work kind of for us, because someone like me is, is like, man, I'm dying from this. Right. I can't hear speculation or something that sounds good. I need to be able to witness somebody that knows kind of where I've been right. what, and how you overcame it. Right. Because if not, I think there's something in us. And that's why I think the importance, especially with what you do daily, is the front line. Because it, you know, and there are people who are willing, there are many pathways, but, and that's what's admirable, whether it was at the hospital and especially where you are today, is because it kind of, it can put someone at ease and help walk them through options that will benefit us. You know what I'm saying, and so um, I just I, I found it it funny to uh, to kind of hear that. But so let me ask you this: What are your primary responsibilities and and duties as a peer support specialist? Yeah, you said you had like four counties that you work with. Yeah. What does yeah. it look like in each space? Is there like what are the similarities? What are the differences? Yeah. So one thing that I work and one thing I like to say too is. I don't have clients I work with. I have peers. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, we have the same common goal. We all just try to make it through the day. So, um, But we work on something called recovery capital, uh, which is basically like steps, but they're not steps. You know what I mean? Like I've had peers that I work with that want to practice AA, and they've asked me to sponsor them, and I can't do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But we can work on their recovery capital, which is ways that they can grow and improve their recovery Um, It goes in different sections within your personal life, within your social life, within your physical life, and just ways you can get better. Um, And I think, like, in any instance, the higher that recovery capital is, the better your chances are staying sober. You know, the more things that you incorporate in your life and ways that you're trying to grow. Um, So we kind of work on that piece by piece. Every time I work with them, we, we work on a different section and it's almost kind of like steps in a sense that, like, when you put in black and white on that paper, it's almost like a grocery list. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's something that you can see. It helps you remember it. and knows what you, you know, it reminds me or reminds them of what you need to work on. Um, so that's one thing that we do together. Can you, can you walk me through? Because this is, this is intriguing. And I think this would be beneficial. Like, one, what is recovery capital? And, and how do you 
Like, what is that? And how do you do that? So, recovery capital is basically just ways of improvement, um, you know, in, in a short sense. So, like, just to kind of walk you through it, whenever I do a, a recovery capital assessment with a client or with a peer, um, the first thing, the first section that it goes over is your uh, social life. So basically, like, you know, one question, like, um, I have an intimate partner supporting my recovery process. I have family members supporting my recovery process. Um, I'm a member of, you know, what can I do to improve my network, things like that. And then it has potential areas of growth. So as a peer support, like, everything is person-centered. You know what I mean? I'm not going to make suggestions, you know, unless they get really stumped. And then I start just bringing up a couple of things to see, you know, kind of what they think about the things that I say. But um, I let them come up with their own area of growth. Mm-hmm. And we just try it. You know what I mean? And we, we try it. And if it don't work, we start from scratch. Um, so, you know, like then the next week we might go over like your physical recovery capital. Like, you know, you got insurance you know what I mean do you uh, do you see a doctor regularly do you have potential health problems that you need to work on are you exercising you know so it goes in different ways until you get to uh, your human which is more like your personal life like you know it goes into like meditation um, you know do you th- do anything like that do you have any physical tokens around your house that remind you of your recovery that uh, reminds you why you want to stay sober why you're doing this and you know, just everything has a potential area of growth. How do you think you could get better at this? What can you add into your life here? Um, so that's just one of the things we do. And really, I'll just I'll sit with them and talk about, like, their week. You know, mm-hmm. find out, like, what has bothered them throughout the week. Why it bothered them. Um, you know, what can we do to take it away? Like, do I need to connect you to this? You know, and I connect them to local resources around the community. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's important? Because I'm an avid believer that it cannot be done alone. And no. so, one, what is the importance and, and why do you think it's important for an individual to, to have that? I mean, you said it there, like, none of us can do it alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there were so many times that I thought that I could do it by myself and it didn't work out. Um, and a lot of a lot of guys that I work with, even if they don't want to work with peer support, like I'll pass in my car, just call me. You know what I mean? If you have, if you feel in some kind of way, just call me. Um, and I guess the best answer I can give to that is because I need it. You know what I mean? I need it. There, there's plenty of times within my life, like I've been sober, getting close to six years, and there's still so many times I need to pick up my phone and, and talk to somebody. Thank you for tuning in to Part of Me While I Detox. And our boy Steven said, give him a call. So here's his phone number, 864-407-8482. Call him up if you need help. You know how we get down.